You're listening to the TV Sports Radio Show. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the TV Sports Radio Show. Back again for another week. Today is Friday, May 21st. I'm your host, Dylan Jesperson. With me, as always, is my main man, Dylan Holtz. Dylan, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. How are you doing? Doing fantastic as well. I'm really excited to get into today's topics and this week in sports because it was a fun week in sports. The NHL playoffs started up this week. The NBA playing games are going on and some classic baseball moments going on during this week. So, Basically, every sport that's going on right now is giving us something exciting to watch and something to talk about, which is great. I love that time of year for that reason. I'm excited to get into the topics for today. Quick reminder to follow the TV Sports Radio Show on Spotify so you never miss an upload. Today, we have a few updates on some previous show. I think it was the first show that we did together where we gave our thoughts on the NBA MVP race. Uh, The finalists were announced yesterday, and we'll give our updated takes on that. And the front runner for that award, we're going to jump into the no-hitters in baseball again, since there's been quite a few since we covered that last time a few weeks ago. And this week in sports, we'll get into the Yerman Mercedes home run and our takes on the unwritten rules of baseball and wrap up with some of the NBA play and tournament updates as well as look forward to the playoff matchups. First up, though, we've got some breaking, not-so-breaking news out of Atlanta in the NFL Veteran Julio Jones is on the trade block. There's been rumors, kind of like Aaron Rodgers, that he might be on the move. It's kind of become official as it seems that they are shopping him out to other teams. He's a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro out of the University of Alabama, and he may have played his final games with the Atlanta Falcons. Dylan, what are your thoughts on the Julio Jones trade rumors thus far? Well, uh, it's kind of like when we talked about the Aaron Rodgers trade situation. It's really exciting um, because Julio is such a phenom in the game of football. Uh, We haven't seen many receivers or players like him ever. He's a guy that can take over a game, and he's kind of just dominated in the NFC South since he got in the league. Um, These trade rumors very much excite me because my team, the Tennessee Titans, have been linked heavily – with Julio Jones since it's kind of been brought up, they might be traded. Um, yesterday on Thursday, Derek Henry kind of made public that he was very interested in teaming up with Julio, which would get that Alabama connection in Nashville, Julio being a Alabama guy and Derek Henry too. Uh, AJ Brown, the Titans star receiver has been very vocal saying that Julio Jones has been his inspiration in football. He's looked up to him. And just imagining uh, offense with Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Ryan Tannehill, and coming off an AFC South championship, and the AFC South probably getting weaker going into this next season. It's very, very exciting uh, from that standpoint. But just like 
being unbiased, it's exciting to see where Julio might end up because, I mean, there's been several other teams linked to it uh, from the Ravens, who we all know how exciting the Ravens are to watch, and they don't really have a dominant number one receiver. They've got Hollywood Brown there, but Hollywood is more of a slot guy, maybe not the number one guy. You throw in Julio, that gives Lamar a legit number one option. You got the Patriots in talks, which seems like the Patriots are always in talks with big trade options because of the Patriots. They're, they've been a dynasty. Everybody wants to go play for them. It makes sense. Uh, it would be interesting seeing him and Cam team up. They've been division rivals for so long. They were when Cam was with the Panthers, uh, Julio in Atlanta. And then uh, the other one that kind of stood out to me was the Packers because that's it's just kind of an interesting dynamic with, well, is Rodgers going to be there? If he is, then, yeah, you probably want to go get Julio. You'd have Julio, Devontae Adams, and Julio, uh, Julio, Julio, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Rodgers. That'd be an insane trio. Probably something we've never seen in the NFL before with that high-level players. Probably all of them top five in their position. Uh, what were your thoughts when you first saw all the Julio? Uh, yeah, I, yeah so I've seen the rumors. Uh, the Falcons are definitely uh, one of those teams that are kind of on the bubble of, do we want to compete? Do we not want to? We've got a huge salary cap and a lot of salary cap issues. Uh, but they've also get, they've still got Matt Ryan. And I think we talked uh, during the NFL draft, uh, when they drafted Kyle Pitts, I, I thought they were going in the complete opposite direction. I thought they were giving Matt Ryan another target to throw to. So pairing him with Julio sounded like the the smart move and made sense in my mind. But uh, now as we've gotten going forward and it does sound like they are going to get rid of Julio and, and move him onto another team. Uh, it, it is a bit shocking. It just kind of shows you that not every NFL team is, uh, you know, making the plans that you think they're making the plans to make. Uh, sometimes things change and things can change very quickly. Uh, so We'll see what happens with Atlanta as they move forward. Uh, if they're really truly going into a rebuild mode or if they're going to try to free up some cap space by moving Julio. Um, but that contract is a big problem and that's kind of limiting what they can do with him. Uh, he's got two more years on his deal, a uh, bunch of money in that deal. So some teams like the bears were the first team that stuck out to me as a, a wide receiver, a team that would want to go get a wide receiver you look at their salary cap issues and they have no chance. There's just no even thought of going after them because they've only got uh, something like $200,000 in cap space to spare. So it kind of limits what the Falcons to do. And that's kind of a bad scenario when you're a team looking to trade a star player like that. And you don't have much of an option in in teams. Um, of the teams that I think uh, would be the best landing spot, the Titans do make a lot of sense, but I do think the Ravens make the most sense. Uh, Hollywood Hollywood Brown has become more of a slot guy, not maybe the uh, outside burner guy that everyone thought he was going to be, but you pair him, Julio, and they just drafted Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota this, uh, this draft. That trio of wide receivers paired with Lamar Jackson – could make that such a dynamic offense and a really fun offense to to watch. Sounds like it would be insanely fun to watch for the next couple of years if they could get Julio in that mix up. So very interesting to see. Uh, the Packers also stuck out to me. I saw that on an article as well. And uh, that their thought process was if Aaron Rodgers stays, then obviously you want to go get Julio, add him another, add another, uh, another target for him, make him happy. But you know, my thought process with the Packers is, you know, you've got one star that wants out there. You've got another star that wants out there. 
how do you make that trade work and make a blockbusters type trade in the NFL? We don't see those very rarely in the NFL, but very rarely do you see one guy that wants out and another team that needs desperately to move a guy. Uh, Obviously Matt Ryan makes that a bit different, but if I'm an NFL team and you're having to choose between Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan, I'm choosing Aaron Rodgers every time. I'll figure out what I do with Matt Ryan in the meantime. But if I get to choose between those two, I'm picking Aaron Rodgers. So I think that's an interesting development to see go forward as we look in the off season. Uh, Good stuff there. Uh, Always interesting to see. We'll have to keep our eyes on Adam Schefter as any potential blockbuster trades go down on the horizon. Uh, as OTAs and training camps get ready to go here in July. We'll switch gears now. We'll update you guys on a couple stories that we talked about uh, on a few earlier shows. We're first up going to go with the NBA MVP race as the finalists were announced yesterday. Two guys that we talked about in our first show with Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid making it, but also Steph Curry, the two-time MVP, forcing his way into the MVP discussion, winning uh, a scoring championship at the age of 33. Uh, Dylan, give me your updated thoughts on where the MVP race stands uh, with Curry entering the conversation. Well, when we talked about the MVP race, like you said, I think it was on our first show, we both kind of came to the point where like, yeah, it's Jokic's probably going to walk away with it. We thought it was probably over. Uh, and we were really only talking about Jokic and Embiid. There were a few dark horses and Steph wasn't even really on the radar. We, I don't think we even mentioned Steph. And the last couple of weeks, and especially last Sunday against the Grizzlies in that uh, game for the eighth seed, Steph just let everybody, everybody know that he's still Steph Curry. And he's still out in the bay doing what he does, making threes from ridiculous range and just being probably the best scorer in the league right now on a, on a consistent basis. Um, I don't know if it's enough simply because – the Warriors struggled all year. They still might not make the playoffs as they're in the final play-in game tonight against the Grizzlies. Uh, but what stepped in was incredible. I think, pound for pound, it's still Nikola Jokic. What he did, especially after Jamal Murray went down, keeping the Nuggets afloat, securing the three seed in such a such a competitive Western uh, conference, uh, what Jokic did was incredible. Uh, Embiid was also fantastic, leading the 76ers to the one seed, uh, Getting above the Brooklyn Nets in the East is no easy, uh, no easy task. Uh, but yeah, I think I think I'm gonna stick with what I said earlier. I think I'm sticking with Jokic. Uh, Curry definitely made a run at it from kind of out of nowhere. But yeah, I'm stick with Jokic. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I think I agree for the most part. I think it's uh, one of the things that I, I found interesting when the finalists got announced is that. Uh, I feel like when we were growing up, the NBA MVP race was basically just the best players on the best teams. So usually it's the one seeds, maybe the two seeds, three seeds, maybe someone else if they had a fantastic year. Uh, But that's not the case this year. Joel Embiid, obviously a one seed, but is probably third on the list at this point. I think Curry may be in that second spot now. Uh, And then you got, you know, the Nuggets did well, but they're not, they're not a favorite for to win the NBA finals. The the Warriors might not even make the playoffs at this point. So I think that just kind of is interesting as the NBA has uh, evolved and star players have been able to uh, take over on maybe not as competitive teams because, you know, 
another thing hurting Embiid is that they've got good players around him. You know, Ben Simmons does a lot for that team as well. So it's tough to uh, give Embiid all of the credit when they are that good. You know, there's other things going on. Uh, whoever wins this MVP will it'll be a, a bit of history. Just some quick stats: uh, the last center to win the MVP was Shaq in 2000. So that would be 21 years in the making. We've got a two out of three chance for that to happen. Uh, and then if Curry wins it, he will be the ninth player in NBA history to win three MVPs, tie him with Magic, Larry Bird, and Moses Malone with uh, three MVPs. So a bit of history regardless. And like you said, I still think Jokic probably has it wrapped up, but I think I'm rooting for Curry in my in my heart uh, just because his whole career has been like this. It's just defying expectations. Nobody thought the Warriors were going to be any good once Clay got hurt again. Uh at 33 years old, I think people were starting to write Curry off, you know, just kind of slowing down. But you win a scoring title at the age of 33. Uh, you do what the, he did with the Warriors this year. I think he's deserving of the attention he's gotten to get that finalist spot. Uh, you know, LeBron gave him a shout out, and I think that really helped a lot of people really put that in their mind. Okay, he might be an MVP finalist, but I do think he- – probably has it wrapped up I, all three of those guys had tremendous seasons and I think uh, would benefit from all of them being in the playoffs I know that you don't want you don't want that to happen tonight with Curry and uh, Memphis going at it tonight but uh, all of these guys have had great seasons and I think yeah a, a big part of it could come down to what happens tonight if Curry puts on a, a tremendous performance against Memphis I think that could stick in a lot of people's minds that are voting for the MVP uh, moving forward well, and you brought up uh, history. The MVP award kind of changed in the last few years with uh, it being presented after the playoffs. So, I mean, these games can make a difference, and it's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? So who knows? Uh, back like when Derrick Rose won it and stuff, they awarded that first round of the playoffs. Now we got that award ceremony later on. I don't know. It could be interesting. I Yeah, I being a little biased, I'd rather see Steph go down tonight. Uh Good game, of course, but maybe a buzzer beater by Job ran it. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see like to see Steph go home tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to get into that just a little bit. We're going to switch gears again back towards the MLB. Another topic we covered uh, a couple weeks ago. It was actually May seventh because I looked it up. Uh, May seventh, we talked about the no hitters in the MLB. How there were so many because there was three thus far. Uh, that night, right after we recorded, Wade Miley of the Reds threw another one to make it four. Uh, so it was just like, okay, we dominated that topic. We, we're on it. We know what we're going on. And then this week, we get two more. We get ter- Spencer Turnbull of my Detroit Tigers. Whoa. My dog is sorry. <laughs> sorry. My dog decided to play with the bottle, and I was not going to let that happen today. All right, and Spencer Turnbull of my Detroit Tigers and Corey Kluber of the Yankees. Back-to-back nights, six no-hitters, four in the month of May. Dylan, in your eyes, what's going on with these no-hitters in the MLB this season? So I was kind of dumbfounded. We've never seen anything like this. Um, And I was just kind of like scouring the Internet to try to see, just find people's opinions, find uh, baseball players' opinions, because, I mean, they're, they're the ones that play the game every day. They know what's going on. And I thought it was interesting. I found a quote from Clayton Kershaw, the ace of the uh, L.A. Dodgers. And I was like, if we, if there's anyone's opinion I'm going to look at, it's it's a dominant pitcher. And Kershaw basically said he thinks the MLB has created a monster. 
because there was a lot of things going on with there's a new ball this year because they thought the balls were juiced and that's a whole nother conversation. We got this new ball and we're less than two months in. We have six no hitters. And I mean, the record for no hitters in the modern era are seven in a season. And we're not even two months in. And that was in 90, 90, 90 and 91. And then back in 2012, I mean, it looks like we're going to shatter it. Uh, it just, it makes no sense to me. And just hearing what Clayton Kershaw said, saying the, the new ball is a problem, should probably take that uh, with the and put that kind of high up in the brain and remember that. Because I'd imagine Kershaw kind of knows what's going on. He's been doing this for a little while, and he's been doing it at an elite level. Uh, but, yeah, it's, I think it's fun. I don't like the argument of it kind of sprinkling down the accomplishment. I mean, there's a bajillion triple doubles in the NBA, and it's still incredible every time someone gets a triple double. It's like, holy cow, that guy had 10 of each of those stats. That's that is insane. Um, but it did seem like growing up and earlier in life, it seemed like a no hitter was very, very rare. And it does kind of stink that there's six already. And it's kind of like when I saw Kluber through the no hitter, I was like, well, yeah, sounds about right. It wasn't like, holy cow, got to go text my friends and look at what Twitter saying. It's like, yeah, he threw a no hitter. That's, that's kind of the, par for the course. Uh, what were your thoughts of, of the 24 hour stretch of two no hitters? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely wild, uh, especially happening with the, I, I had a personal note with it because the Tigers threw one. It was Spencer Turnbull and it's, it, it is a bit different. It, I, I will say as a fan, it is a bit different watching the no-hitters now than where it used to be. And I do think as a Tigers fan, it's a little bit different. I used to watch – I watched Verlander throw two no-hitters in his career uh, with the Tigers. And those were different because you knew Verlander was really good and Verlander had a really good career. So those felt more like uh, notches on his belt more than they did, uh, you know, huge uh, accomplishments they were huge accomplishments and really awesome to see but they weren't you expected it from a guy like Verlander Uh, some of the guys that are throwing it this year makes that argument of the dead balls more you know real Spencer Turnbull is not a guy that threw that I would have ever expected to throw a no hitter Uh, Corey Kluber is obviously a great guy but Wade Miley some of these guys are not, you know, dominant MLB pitchers in the past few years. So it's, uh, it's not, it's not the dead balls really makes it different because we, we talked about juice balls for three or four years uh, and the MLB kind of denied that they were, even, it was even a problem or doing anything. Now they come out and say something about the baseballs. They said they took the juice out of the balls and, and now we've got six no hitters. I agree with Clayton Kershaw on the fact that honestly, if the MLB just didn't say anything, we wouldn't be having that same conversation, but because they actually did say something now we we're all thinking about that. Now we're all going, okay, so is this the, is it actually watering down what no hitters are? I still think as baseball fans and as someone that played the game of baseball, you know how hard it is to throw a no hitter. If you've ever pitched a game, even in, I never threw a no hitter in seven innings, six innings, much less a nine inning game against professional baseball players. I don't care what ball you're using. That's an amazing accomplishment in its own right. So it's been awesome to watch. My other, only other point is that this is just as a a fan, a little quirk as a fan. I do think ESPN has 
gone out of its way to not jinx uh, pitchers anymore. I used to get no hitter updates in like the fifth inning, and it was like, okay, I don't really care that much. And they they always blow it. Uh, when Turnbull threw his no hitter, I didn't get an update till the eighth inning was over that the no hitter was. In, I was like, okay, I got to turn it on right now then. And I. I know that's just like a superstitious fan part of me, but I do think that ESPN like maybe got enough complaints to like, all right, we're not going to jinx no hitters anymore. And now we've got six no hitters in a year. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being a fan, but uh, anyways, we'll move on. We're going to stick with the MLB and this week in sports. Uh, If we'll give a quick recap for anyone that didn't see what happened on Monday night, the White Sox were playing the Twins. It was a 15-4 to game. The White Sox were blowing out the Twins. It was the ninth inning. The Twins had basically thrown in a towel and put in a position player, Williams Estudio, to pitch. And rookie catcher, Yerman Mercedes, he's having a great year. Uh, he draws a 3-0 count. Estudio serves him up a 47-mile-per-hour meatball that Mercedes ends up putting into center field, deep into center field and gone. Uh, the only problem was that it was a 3-0 count. And that is against the unwritten rules of baseball. Uh, I have a, a decent amount to say about this, but Dylan, you can go first. What are your thoughts on the situation? Why the twins reaction and throwing behind the next player and just the reaction from baseball in general. So this story really hit me in the heart because I think one way and Tony LaRusso, who I have so much respect for, he managed my favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals for a majority of my young life and just so much respect for him. He's brought me so many great memories at two championships, but man, oh man, his thinking on this has drove me crazy. I, I don't understand it. I, I get the unwritten rules, but you have a guy like your Mercedes is a rookie. He, like you said, he's on fire this season, having a great year and he gets presented with a meatball. I mean, this is a guy playing for the league minimum trying to make impressions, trying to make a name for himself. Yeah. I mean, hit the ball 429 feet or whatever it was to dead center and have some fun. I I understand the unwritten rules. I, it's been a thing forever. And old heads like to harp on it and be like, this is how it is. This is how it's always been. I mean, the next day when you have Tyler Duffy come out there, the Twins and White Sox played again, and he throws – he threw behind – Ehrman. And uh, I mean, this is the same week where Kevin Pillar from the Mets got hit in the face with a fastball. And it looked like he was in a serious car accident. Like his face was all swollen up. It looked, it looked terrible. I mean, just to know that these things are happening at the same time. I mean, it was clearly intentional. They're, they're sending a message as part of the unwritten rules. And then uh, Ehrman's manager, Tony LaRusso, goes up there and says, yeah, that's how it is. That's just part of the game. And, uh, and I mean, you just see like all this dysfunction in the locker room with guys like Tim Anderson and Lance Lynn stepping up being leaders for the White Sox. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're right there with Yerman. Uh, we, what he did, that's awesome. Uh, he's, he's a young star, basically. And I think it's, this is a major uh, turning point in the last couple of years. Because uh, we saw it with Tatis last year and then with Mercedes this year. I think uh, – we're in a serious turning point where baseball has got to decide what it wants to be because it's kind of got an identity issue of, oh, we're the old laid-back sport, we're America's pastime, and or we're the exciting, flashy game where we're flipping bats, making web gym plays, and have these big, bright uh, stars. Um, 
I think there's a time and place for unwritten rules. And honestly, it was a basketball quote I saw that kind of shifted my idea about this. Vanessa Bryant, Kobe Bryant's widow, said every game Kobe would make an effort to play, no matter if he was hurt, sick, just sore, whatever, because he knew fans paid hard-earned money to see him play. They wanted to see Kobe Bryant play. And in the MLB, I mean, this is professional sports. There are people coming to watch, and they pay money. They pay hard-earned money to go watch their Chicago White Sox. And there's a little kid out there that is like, there's Yerman Mercedes. I can't wait to see what he does. And, I mean, to just be like, oh, it's the under rules. We're up 11. I, I got to just ground out. I, that's kind of lame in my opinion. Yeah, Little League through college, sure. That's that's more just, hey, it's competition. These guys aren't getting paid. No one's really coming and paying a lot of money to come watch us play. I think there's room for it there. But in the MLB, I don't know. I think, I think let's have some fun and be flashy and kind of move into a new era. We're getting out of – in the old days, like I get – everybody loves Jeter, Cal Ripken Jr., the old guys, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, all that stuff, great. We're getting a new era. We got Tatis. We got, we got Shohei Ontani. We got Yerman Mercedes. I think baseball – is at a real turning point. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think they've got to decide what they want to do and whether we're going to ditch the unwritten rules, get rid of some of them, keep some. I know you said you had a lot to say. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I I am in a a basic agreement with you. Uh, I don't understand as someone who pitched throughout their, their whole lives, I don't understand why pitchers are just so soft, just uh, unbelievably soft when it comes to these types of things, because I, that's just, a, in my eyes, what Yerman Mercedes does is just being good at his job. If anything, the Twins disrespected Yerman Mercedes by throwing a position player at him and telling him to throw 47 down the pipe. Uh, as a pitcher, I don't understand why we also think like 3-0 counts are beneficial to us. Like why we just think we're allowed to groove fastballs down the down the pipe when it's 3-0. I don't care about the score you threw three balls. If you don't want to pipe a pipe a fastball down the plate, don't get behind three uh, Oh, there's um, yeah. I, so I saw Trevor Bauer talk about this this week and uh, Trevor Bauer is basically where I am is, and, and I think most of the players are at versus where most of the managers and the older, older people in the league are is just, why are we getting mad at these people for doing their jobs? And, and at the same time, why do we have all these unwritten rules that only benefit the pitchers? Batting is such a big part of the game and why people tune into baseball. We want to see these young players hit the ball and hit the top cover of the ball, run around the bases. That's fun to us. And why do we need so many unwritten rules where, okay, you're not going to swing at this pitch. If I, if I throw it right down the middle, you're not going to bunt when, when I have a no hitter going, because that would hurt my feelings if I don't get my no hitter going. Like, I don't understand why we have all these unwritten rules. And when it comes down to it, it's just, Oh, I, we don't want to hurt the other team's feelings uh, and run up the score on them. Who cares if, if you're that worried about, hurting someone's feelings professional baseball players feelings put a mercy rule in the game and and make sure that there's no chance and then we'll play till the end and there's a 10 run rule and then the game will end uh if you're that i i i I think there is 
a small case to be made for this in the fact that it's a it's an 11 run game and the twins had basically thrown in the towel and there's really no other way to throw in the towel you can't just walk off the field and say we're done playing baseball now uh please stop there is like a a certain extent to where all right you can take your foot off the gas and and not try as hard because you know they're not they're not trying as hard but at the same time they're still on the field. They're still throwing pitches. They're still going to get outs if you put the ball in play. So I don't understand why a batter has to take something off to to make the other. I, it, when it all comes down to it, just the other make the other team not feel as bad about being killed. When I played baseball, we 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 hit the ball. If you threw the ball down the plate, you 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 threw you swung the bat, and it makes especially a rookie like that who's trying to stay in the league and trying to continue to hit the ball the way he has in the first few months of his career to, to tell him, you know, actually you have to take this at bat off and, and hurt your numbers and maybe get a worse contract because of it, because we don't want to hurt the other team's feelings. I, I just don't understand. Uh, I, I think most of the unwritten rules are just designed for a different era of baseball when, when pitchers needed more help and needed to, to, you know, a little bit more courtesy from the hitters because there wasn't much that they could do other than just groove balls down the plate. Pitchers are so good nowadays. Pitchers are, pitchers are getting you out eight to nine out of 10 times you've go up against them. So if you're good enough at your job to hit a home run at any point in a major league game, do it. I'm done with the, we're not swinging three Oh, because we're beating you too bad. Don't get beat too bad. Don't get down three Oh. And then, and then you won't have that problem. I don't, there's very few analogous situations because even in football games, it's like, all right, well, we, we probably should have just stopped them. You know, we probably should have just, you know, they could have taken a knee, but we could have fucking tackled them. So I probably shouldn't swear, but I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs) This gets me fired up because the unwritten rules of baseball just are so, they're so old and for such an older era of baseball that doesn't fit the game now. And we've got such awesome guys like Yerman Mercedes, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, guys that make the game so much better. And if we're going to placate to the pitchers and just make sure they don't get their feelings hurt, then baseball will die. And that's just how, how it will happen. So we need to really uh, as a, as a sport take a good look at if these unwritten rules are making the game better or if they're making the game worse. And if they're making the game worse, just get it through everyone's heads. We're not doing this anymore. We're, we're going to move forward in another, in another direction because every time we have these, like you said, Tony LaRusa ripping our own player for doing their job, it, it, it makes sports fans look at it and go, what's going on in this sport? Why, why, are, we, why are we ripping a guy for doing his job? So yeah, that's uh, I get fired up about that, but the the unwritten rules of baseball are, are are very frustrating, even from a pitcher's perspective, because they just help one side of the game, and it's it's arguably the less fun side of the game. For sure, and it's a shame that this has kind of taken over the conversation this week. When it and like this season, honestly, like this week, uh, because this baseball season's been a lot of fun. We've seen things like like we said earlier in the show with the six no hitters already in less than two months, and then you got like guy like Shohei Ontani who's pitching awesome for the Angels and he's leading the league in home runs, and we have to come back to these old fickle rules where it's like ah got a three zero count that pitcher threw three balls 
And by the way, he's not even a pitcher. He's a catcher. His ERA doesn't matter. He's going to throw a meatball. Don't hit it. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I let Mercedes belt that ball to Indiana from Chicago. I mean, I I don't know. I think baseball has had a problem with not wanting to have fun. And pro sports are a lot of fun. And they can all be. And I mean, Tatis has be Tatis plays for the Padres. And I've never been a huge fan of the Padres. I enjoy watching the Padres now. Like I like I'm seeking out to see Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado because you mentioned Machado too. They are both so entertaining. They just add a spark to the game, and and like it. This just kind of hampers it down. It's like, man, why are we doing this? This we can have so much fun watching baseball and the guys playing baseball, and we got to go worry about these unwritten rules that were wrote by guys that were watching Babe Ruth, right. and he's been long gone. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, it just uh, on the last point, uh, it reminds me of when Yasiel Puig came into the league and so many people were so excited. And, you know, you just had so many of my friends that weren't baseball fans, but were like, damn, that Yasiel Puig guy is fun to watch and he makes baseball so much fun. And you look at the conversation within baseball and everyone hated him. Every, Every older older manager everyone wanted nothing to do with Yasiel Puig wanted him out of LA and thought he was doing too much and it's just the 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 difference in opinions between the the newer players the the younger guys and, and the older guys that make up the majority of baseball fans at this point it's going to be interesting to see how baseball morphs as you know more and more guys get aged out of the game and we become the older people watching the game. That'll be interesting to see uh, as it develops. Uh, We'll wrap up now as we look forward to the weekend. Obviously a big game tonight for your Memphis Grizzlies as they take on the Golden State Warriors. Quick recap of the NBA play-in tournament as it's happened thus far. The Lakers bounced the Warriors on Tuesday. The Grizzlies took down the Spurs. So the Lakers have the seven seed. The Grizzlies take on the Warriors for the eight seed tonight. Uh, on the Eastern side of things, the Wizards end up getting the eight seed while the Celtics get the seven seed. Uh, looking to for some good playoff matchups in the East and in the West. Dylan, I'll uh, let you get your thoughts on your game tonight, uh, as well as your thoughts on some of the playoff matchups uh, moving forward. Yeah, um, I'm excited. We get to see uh, Memphis and Golden State tonight. Uh, these two teams played last Sunday, like I mentioned, when we were talking about Steph for MVP. Um, something that I didn't realize when that game was played, it was the first time Ja Morant had played against Steph Curry in his short two-year career. And you could kind of tell, it was kind of in that third quarter. Uh, and the, it's always kind of been that thing, the Warriors turn it on in the third quarter. They kind of feel you out in the first half. They did this a lot when they were on the run, winning those championships. That third quarter, they come out of the locker room and they just said, pounce. And that's when Steph went on that big run on Sunday. And there's a picture on the internet that you can find. And Steph just made a three. And you just see John, he's just looking just defeated. And I saw a local Memphis journalist say this is the first game John played against Steph. I'm like, that's, that makes a lot of sense. He, he wasn't quite ready for what Steph can do. You can see all the film you want, but when you get actually get in there, it's a different ball game. Um, so I think it'll be interesting seeing Ja versus Steph too. 
that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. I think probably the experience of the Warriors just being so great, having Draymond and Steph, no matter the injuries they have and the guys that have left Golden State, having Steph and Draymond, that's incredible. Those guys have won so many championships and were part of one of the best modern dynasties in sports. Um, I think that's too much for Memphis. They're such a young team. They've dealt with injuries all year. They just they don't have the experience under their uh, belts yet. But I think I think they're getting there. Uh, it, I think it'd probably be better for Memphis to lose, honestly, which I don't want to say that because I want to see Memphis in the playoffs. But being able to get that 14 spot in the lottery and getting being able to help themselves would probably be the ideal thing to do instead of having to go to Utah and probably lose four games. Uh, yeah, I think I think Golden State probably probably gets the win tonight against Memphis and they'll uh, they'll match up with Utah and that that'll be a fun series because those teams have matched up in the playoffs a few times in the last couple of years uh what do you think about tonight between the Warriors and Grizzlies yeah uh I think it's an interesting scenario I think we'll really get to see what it what it feels like as an eight seed losing that first game and then coming back and having to beat a team that just won their game you know I think that's an interesting uh scenario the Wizards didn't have that problem uh, but we'll see if there's a, a bit of a hangover. You know, you just lost a game to the seven seed. You're not really ready for the, the nine seed. So there's a there's a potential there for a bit of a letdown, but you you got to factor in. You've got 33-year-old Steph Curry, just won a, won a scoring title, just, is, just announced as an MVP candidate. Uh, I think he definitely has the edge there, but I, I'm, I love seeing John Morant play. Uh, every time I get to see John Morant play, I – always go come away happy because he always gives me something fun to watch. Uh, and I think that matchup, you know, give him a little bit of experience to understand what Steph can do as a player. And I think Jack can, you know, kind of adapt. I think that's what he does really well is adapt his game uh, to be better. I do think the Warriors probably have the edge, but I'm really excited for that one. Uh, as the playoffs get started, I'm excited for the Lakers, obviously. Uh, first time in modern NBA era, uh, the modern NBA era that a seven seed is favored over a two seed. So we'll see if the Suns take that personally in that series. Uh, and I also think the Clippers and Mavericks series is going to be really interesting. Kawhi and Paul George taking on Luca and Chris stops. I think that's really fun. And I think the NBA is a lot of fun uh, in the first round more than in other sports, because most of the playoffs can, series you can see being competitive. Everyone you look at and you go, okay, I can see that going five, six, maybe even seven games. Uh, even the one and eights, you know, the Jazz and the Warriors or Memphis, I could see that going deep into a into a playoff series. So I think I'm really excited for all of the series. Uh, excited for that game tonight. Uh, I wish you luck. I wish you good luck and hope that you guys can make it because I think it'd be fun to cover uh, have one of our teams in the playoffs. Uh, it's not going to be one of my teams anytime soon. So let's hope that Memphis can get it done tonight. Oh, for sure. Um, I just wanted to throw in, I uh, I wish that Jamal Murray was healthy because that Denver-Portland series is going to be incredible. And um, I'm just thinking back to last year in the bubble when Denver and Utah played, and we had those games where Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell were just going at it and just putting on performances. I'm like, man, we could have had Jamal Murray versus Damian Lillard in the clutch. That would have been awesome. It's still going to be an awesome series. You know, we'll see Jokic, and it'll be Jokic versus Dame time. 
and just see how that goes. It'll it'll be an awesome series. That could be a series that could easily go seven games. Dame and CJ could will them, have a classic mellow performance, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I I kind of wrote the bracket down on my piece of paper. I've got my notes, and I've got the matchups, wrote them all down. And I kind of looked at it for like 10 minutes. Didn't spend too much time. I was like, who do I see making it out of these eight teams in the West? And I can't get over the Lakers. I just – I get hung on it. It's LeBron James. It's Anthony Davis. Seeing what they did last year, like they've been hurt all year. And it it sucks for the Suns that they had this great year, finally in the playoffs after 10 years, and they have to run into this buzzsaw that is the Lakers. Uh, but I think – and I've been saying it since I've been on the show, I think the Lakers are going to be the team that come out of the West. And then I I went off that and went to the East, and I was like, I want to see them play the Nets get to see LeBron versus KD in the finals again. And I think that'd be incredible to see the super team against the Lakers, which I guess Lakers could maybe be considered a super team with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see how that the NBA playoffs play out. Uh, big series too for Chris Paul and his legacy uh, has not been a playoff uh, performed well in the playoffs. You get a chance against LeBron as the two seed. You need to, he needs to have a good series uh, in terms of just upping his legacy. He's already one of the best point guards of all time, but uh, as a winner could really help him out if he could find a way past the Lakers. Good stuff. Great stuff, Dylan. Thankful for another great week. Awesome takes from your end. Uh, Excited to get back at it next week. And thank you for another great week. Uh, thank you, everyone that listened to the end. Uh, reminder where you can find us on social media. You can catch us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore TV sports on Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports and on the web at www.tvsportsmag.com. This has been the TV Sports Radio Show, the Dylan and Dylan Duo signing off. We will see you guys next week.